Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the HypnoDojo, a place of learning for practitioners and students of hypnotherapy. Get your black belts in all things hypnotherapy as we whip into shape your mindset, mastery, and marketing. Relax, enjoy, learn. Here's your sensei, Linda Campbell. Hi, and welcome to the Hypno Dojo. I'm excited for today's show because I have been spending a lot of time lately researching this topic, and it seems to apply to so many of the clients who come to see me. I am the president of the Canadian Association of Counseling Hypnotherapists and Educators, and I run my own hypnotherapy school, the Horizon Center School of Hypnotherapy, and I am currently creating a year-long second level of hypnotherapy training for people who already have sort of the basic training that you need in order to be certified. Uh, And this level of training is going to focus on not only developing our counseling skills, but also uh, learning how to resolve various forms of trauma, including complex trauma. And that's the topic of today's show. So I wanted to share some info about complex trauma. If you know what it is and you know what to look for and how to resolve it, you're going to be able to help so many clients with so many issues. And this is because complex trauma, which is a relatively new concept, is related to many of the issues clients come in with. So, for example, there is some research suggesting that the physical issues that we get can be traced back to complex trauma. In fact, if you've read the books, uh, when the body says no or the body keeps the score. These are cases, there are well-documented cases in these books of people having developed certain physical uh, conditions <laughs> related to the experiences that they had early on in life. So we now know the mind and body cannot be separated. It used to be you know, treated as though these were two separate things, but the, the experiences that we have in our lives impact on us physically as well as emotionally and psychologically and can influence our physical well-being. Complex trauma can also result in self-esteem issues, difficulty with handling stress, relationship issues, and a variety of mental health issues. So the following all stem from complex trauma addiction, depression, ADD, ADHD, and other learning difficulties, anxiety disorders, conduct disorders, phobias, sexual dysfunction, disassociation, juvenile delinquency, attachment disorders, psychotic disorders, narcissistic disorders, bipolar disorders, and even PTSD. And this is interesting. Uh, So some people go away to war and come back and they're not as affected as others who experience post-traumatic stress disorder. Or some people have a trauma that occurs in their life that leaves them, you know, shattered for years to come, whereas others are able to recover more rapidly. There's some evidence that suggests that the people who end up with PTSD after a major event are the ones who have had complex trauma early on in life. In other words, they are set up to have post-traumatic stress disorder because they've had so much trauma early on that the post-traumatic stress disorder kind of becomes the straw that broke the camel's back. So if you know what to listen for, what to look for, and how to work on complex trauma, you can help people with all of those various disorders. So let's look first at what trauma is and what uh, differentiates complex trauma from other trauma. So trauma is basically whenever a person is in a place where they perceive that they are in danger and they cannot prevent it, 
and they can't handle it. So there's essentially two types of trauma. One, simple trauma, and this is a one-time event that can lead to PTSD or not. So this could be, for example, a home invasion or a rape or a car accident. So it's one incident that is traumatic in nature um, but is referred to as simple trauma because there is only one incident. And that gives away, I suppose, what complex trauma is. Complex trauma occurs when a person is in a traumatic situation on an ongoing basis. So it's not just one example of being raped or one incident of being raped. It's being sexually molested over and over for a number of years or on a number of occasions. It's not just... um, one experience of a home invasion, it's living with somebody who constantly invades your privacy or makes you feel unsafe or is critical of you. So it's an ongoing series of events that create complex trauma. So anytime you're living in a situation where you don't feel safe, where you're constantly on guard, where you're walking on eggshells, you can't fully relax, where you need to develop some kind of coping mechanism to protect yourself because there can be a threat in any given moment. So, for example, growing up with a parent who is alcoholic or drug dependent can lead to complex trauma. If you don't know what state your parent is going to be in, if they are checked out somehow, or if they're violent or unpredictable, that can lead to complex trauma. Having a parent who is a rageaholic or has some other emotional um, difficulty, so somebody who is constantly depressed who can't drag themselves out of bed may lead to a child being experiencing complex trauma because they didn't have that parent available to them. Having a parent with mental health issues overall, a neglectful parent, a narcissistic parent, or being in a position where you're forced into the role of being the caretaker to an adult, so having to kind of grow up more quickly than might have otherwise happened. So there can be a lot of different situations that lead to a person developing complex trauma. And some clients know that they have complex trauma or that they've had a series of events. I had a client who had ritualistic abuse, so she was quite aware, she developed multiple personality disorder, that this disorder was a result of the trauma that she'd experienced. Of course, I have clients who come to me who have had some kind of sexual trauma or repeated sexual violations. They know that they've experienced complex trauma. They may not know the name of it, but they know they've had ongoing situations of trauma. But the client doesn't necessarily always recognize that they've experienced complex trauma. For example, they may have grown up in an environment with a depressed parent or an alcoholic parent, and to them that just feels normal. It's so typical for them to experience that environment day after day after day that until they see a contrasting environment, they don't realize that their environment is unhealthy. For example, I had a client who, when he was a child, there was just constant drug use and drug paraphernalia all around him. So on the table in the living room, on the, you know, in, in his home, there were needles and drugs and all these people passed out. And so because he just grew up this way, he didn't realize that this wasn't normal until he was old enough to start visiting the houses of friends and saw that they didn't have drug paraphernalia flew all over the place, that there weren't passed out people on the floor all hours of the night and day. So some people don't realize that they have been in an environment that has produced or created trauma for them because it's so consistent for them that they don't see it as abnormal. I had another client who was molested by her father, and the father told her that it was a dad's job to prepare a young lady for having sex, that that was his 
you know, responsibility to initiate her into the world of sexuality. And so she didn't realize that not all dads were that way with their daughters. To her, that was just normal. So when dealing with a client, we we can't just take at face value anything that they say to us. We need to ask questions and dig a little deep. If somebody says, oh, I had a perfectly normal childhood, you have no idea what that means. The problem as therapists is we tend to look through our own lens, right? So if somebody said you had a normal childhood, you compare it to your concept of normal and think, oh, their childhood was okay. Uh, But normal for them may not be normal for you. I had a client who told me she had the usual normal kind of breakup, and when I asked her what that looked like, she said, well, he threw some things at me and called me a slut, and I punched him in the face. You know, a normal breakup. Okay. So if you hear things like, oh, my dad was depressed, or I had a normal childhood, or my mom was really critical, or whatever – Ask for examples. Ask them to, to tell you what that would look like. You know, what, what did your dad look like depressed? What, what would you have experienced of him? What, how did that impact on you? You've got to dig a little deeper because the person doesn't necessarily have the same perception that you do. And there are two parts to trauma. There is the actual event and then there's the client's perception of the event. And what matters is the perception. Two people can have a completely different perception of the same event. And so, again, we need to understand a client's perception. We need to understand the point of view of the client. So don't ever make any assumptions that you know what your client is talking about. Ask questions so that you can get a fuller picture of what's going on for them. Now, the effects of trauma happen at a subconscious level. So many people may not have even been aware that they've been affected. They may be coming to see you for something that they, you know, are struggling with, but they don't recognize necessarily that it goes back to some kind of trauma. For example, I've had, you know, clients, women who have come to see me about their trust issues or their sexual dysfunction, why they have a hard time having an orgasm, that sort of thing. And sure enough, when we do a little bit of uncovering work in hypnosis to find out where that symptom came from, it goes back to some ongoing sexual trauma. I had a client who was having a difficult time letting go of a partner. He kept coming in session after session, needing, wanting me to kind of erase his memory for this person that he was involved with. And again, when we did a bit of delving into it in hypnosis, he had had his mother commit suicide when he was a child, and this woman that he was with was mentally unstable and was threatening that if she left him, she would kill himself. So he was having a hard time letting go because he felt as though on some level he had to rescue this woman where he wasn't able to rescue his mom. So sometimes people are coming in focused on their current crises or their current challenge or their current problem, but they haven't necessarily traced it back themselves to some kind of trauma in their past. There's an interesting phenomena associated with trauma called repetition compulsion. And this phenomena... uh, is that people tend to repeat over and over and over in their relationships or in other areas of their life the kind of trauma that they sustained. So, for example, if a person had a cold, abusive, critical parent, they may attract partners who are cold and abusive and critical. And it's almost as though they have this compulsion to repeat the type of relationship they had with that parent, almost as though there's a part of them wanting to heal it or resolve it, and they weren't able to do so with that parent, so now they're trying to do it in other relationships. Or they may just be repeating some action that was done to them early on. So, 
a person who had a lot of abuse growing up may be drawn into relationships where they're abused one way or the other. So again, this happens on a subconscious level, and the client doesn't necessarily know it's related to anything from their past. They just know that they're struggling with trust or they're struggling with having a lot of critical people in their lives or they're struggling with being uh, having sexual dysfunction. And so our job is to help figure out where that pattern came from, where that behavior or impulse came from to trace it back. And this is where we've got to be really clear with our client about the type of work we're doing. I am a hypnotherapist, not a hypnotist. Now, I have a partner who is a hypnotist or was a stage hypnotist. He's now training to be a hypnotherapist with me. Um, But when we first met, he would comment on me being a hypnotist, and I would jump in and kind of half-jokingly say, oh, no, 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 I'm not a hypnotist, I'm a hypnotherapist. And he didn't really understand what that meant. He thought I was just playing around or maybe being arrogant or something, I don't know. But now that he's taking my training and learning how to become a hypnotherapist, he's recognizing that there's a vast difference between doing hypnosis and doing hypnotherapy. I actually had this conversation with a client earlier on this week. The client coming in to do hypnosis doesn't necessarily know what they're getting in for, that there is a therapeutic component to it. Now, again, if you're listening to this, you may be a layperson, you may be a hypnotist, you may be a hypnotherapist, but when we're hypnotherapists and we're working with clients on something like the effect of their trauma, we need to explain the difference between doing hypnosis and doing hypnotherapy. We need to help them understand that therapeutic work does involve looking at uh, relevant past events, looking at their history, understanding the patterns that are repeating in their lives. The people have a misunderstanding about hypnosis. They think that they're going to go in the chair. You're basically going to fluff them up with some positive words and send them out different. So if somebody comes in with trust issues, they might think you're just going to put them in the chair and say, you have an easy time trusting people. You're able to discern who's worthy of your trust and who isn't. You are open and trusting. You know, just basically throw a bunch of positive affirmations at them. This is not hypnotherapy, (laughs) not at all. This is hypnosis. This is trying to suggest away a person's symptoms by giving them some positive counter-suggestions. Hypnotherapy actually involves looking at where that symptom originated. So there are events that occur in our lives that cause us to form beliefs, and because of those beliefs, we develop symptoms. When you're a hypnotherapist, you're looking for what are the the relevant past events that have led to this person having a symptom. So if a person has had sexual trauma, has had complex trauma, then the belief that they get out of that is I'm not worthy, I'm not valuable, people can hurt me, there can be a number of different beliefs. And then that turns into if I can't trust people to treat me kindly, then I'm going to develop lack of trust. I'm going to be closed down. I'm going to be shut off. I'm going to have big walls around So if you try to just suggest away a person's symptoms, but their subconscious still believes that they're in danger, those symptoms aren't going to go away. So to educate, to inform the client who comes in and thinks that we're just going to give them some positive affirmations and change everything, we need to explain to them why we have to go into these past events, why we need to understand the impact of what's occurred on them. Now, when I say go into past events, I personally don't believe in taking somebody back to relive experiences that they've had. I know there are some therapeutic protocols, including hypnotherapeutic, that involve the client going through revivifying, reliving the experience over and over until there's no emotion around it. 
I don't agree with that at all. I think if a person has been traumatized, why the heck would we traumatize them again? When you take a person back through the event, they're experiencing it as though it's actually happening again. My approach is more about understanding how an event has impacted on the person. What did they come to believe about themselves or about the world? What coping mechanisms did they develop as a result of that event? And how can we work on updating, modifying the beliefs that they developed as well as the coping mechanisms? So I'm straying away from my plan here a little bit. Um, But my point is the effects of trauma happen on a subconscious level. We need to help the client to understand why we're going into those past events so that we can relieve them instead of just suggesting away any of the symptoms. So let's back up a little bit and look at um, traumatic environments. How do you know if you have experienced complex trauma? So there's four different places that complex trauma comes from. Number one If you grew up in a family that was abusive in some way, there is somebody abusive in your family, and this doesn't have to be physical abuse. The following all count as abuse. Criticism, name-calling, humiliation, anybody, you know, teasing you, taunting you, mocking you. And this could be an environment at home. This could be a parent. It could be a sibling. But it could also occur at school, at work. So it's not necessarily just your home environment. So any situation where somebody is more powerful than you, they're in a position of a power, a position of power, and they're in some way hurting you. So this could be the father who's a dictator. You know, it's his rules. It's you know his way or the highway. You can't challenge your father. You have to do what he he tells you to do. It could be an older sibling who's constantly mocking you, won't let you walk beside them on the way to school, tease you in the hallway at school. It could be any environment where there's some abuse going on. The second place that complex trauma comes from is an environment that involves neglect. And in some cases, this can do even greater damage than physical or verbal abuse. So examples of neglect, a parent who is a workaholic and is never around, so the kids are left to fend for themselves. Uh, Maybe a parent who's not emotionally available to you because they have their own issues, their own mental health issues, their own health problems. Uh, Maybe a situation where somebody wasn't there for you when you were hurt or when you needed them, so you felt rejected or abandoned or unsafe. So any environment where there's some kind of neglect will lead to complex trauma. The third category is an environment where there is abandonment. So we'll see this in a child who has been adopted or where child protective services has come in and removed a child. Uh, It can happen in an environment where there's divorce or where there's some kind of instability where a parent isn't around. So any situation where the person feels as though they've been abandoned or they've been rejected in some way, uh, this could be the death of a parent or a grandparent. So it doesn't have to be an actual experience of abandonment, but remember what matters is the client's perception. If having a parent die young made them feel as though they were abandoned, that's going to lead to complex trauma. A baby adopted before they even have a memory on some level knows that this nice, warm person that I was supposed to be with is somehow not here, and that can lead to a feeling of abandonment. We're also looking in this category for a person who experiences several losses within a relatively short period of time. When I'm doing an intake with a client, I'm always listening for their losses because our um, 
a lot of our symptoms come from the losses that we experience, whether that's loss of innocence in the case of sexual trauma, the loss of a, a parent or sibling or whatever through death, the loss of a pet. Uh, a move can lead to a loss, a loss of your familiar environment, your friends, your school, your you know safe place, your home. So anything that creates some kind of sense of insecurity or abandonment will lead to complex trauma. And then there's a fourth category, and this is where there has been a failure to meet our basic human needs. And of course, as human beings, we have many, many needs. And so if there's ever a situation or a series of events where these needs don't get met, then this can lead to complex trauma as well. So some of those needs, safety, so you know, food, shelter, a feeling of you have a place that you're safe in, uh, respect, feeling valued, being respected for who you are, having a sense of belonging, uh, being validated, having people believe and recognize you, having, you know, having people uh, stand behind you, a uh, sense of fairness and justice, consistent rules, we need this growing up, honesty, being able to trust other people and being trusted, having people believe you, uh, a need for intimacy, so being able to have privacy, uh, not having to share your secrets, um, being able to be emotionally connected to people, having consistent boundaries, having unconditional love, having privacy. These are all needs that we have. If these needs are violated, if we're not respected, if people don't believe us when we're struggling with something, if there's a sense of unfairness or injustice, the older sister always gets all the attention and the perks and I have to do all the Cinderella grunt work. Uh, If there's lack of honesty. I had a, a client who found out in school that there was no such thing as Santa Claus. And when she came home and told this to her mother, her mother actually said, we're going to pretend you didn't say that. And the the client had to pretend as a child for three more years that she believed in Santa Claus because the mother, for whatever reason, mom obviously had her own issues, uh, could not just be honest with the child. And, of course, that, again, is a complex trauma situation. If you have somebody making you question yourself, making you doubt yourself over and over and over, that's going to turn into pretty serious symptoms later on as an adult. So those are the four categories, the four situations in which complex trauma is developed. Now, in order to deal with complex trauma, we need to find as a kid, when we're going through these situations, we need to have some coping mechanisms available to us. And there's all kinds of coping mechanisms that people can choose. So if you think of the position that a kid is in, because a lot of this is happening when we're children, kids are pretty defenseless. They, they often can't speak up for themselves or advocate for themselves or change a situation. Maybe if they do, it falls on deaf ears or it just leads to more problems. It leads to them you know, having even more trauma if you're trying to you know, speak up and state your case, make a, make a case for yourself against an abusive parent, chances are that parent is going to heap more abuse on you. So kids are pretty defenseless and powerless, and they can't leave the situation. They can't fix the situation or change it. So they have to find some way to cope. So the coping mechanisms that we tend to rely on are uh, not necessarily healthy ones, but they're what's available at that time. And the way the subconscious works is once we develop a coping mechanism to deal with a situation or environment that we're in, sometimes that coping mechanism can be maintained 
long after the situation has passed, when the person's no longer in the environment anymore. It's important to remember that the job of the subconscious is to keep you safe. So if you come up with a way to keep yourself safe in an, uh, in an environment of abuse or abandonment or neglect, even when you're no longer in that environment, those old coping mechanisms will still hold strong. So some of the coping mechanisms that people develop, addiction can be one of them. So people are kind of funny. We don't like to feel bad. If we feel bad, we try to cover up that feeling. We try to numb it or mask it. And this could be any kind of addiction. This could be addiction to drugs or alcohol, but it could also be addiction to porn or addiction to work or addiction to exercise, anything where we're using some substance or some behavior to not feel our feelings or to distract ourselves away from what we're feeling. Another coping mechanism could be self-harm. So for a lot of people, if they're in an environment where they are not safe, their feelings are really uncomfortable for them. It's, it's scary to feel unsafe all the time. And so the option here is to disassociate, to just not feel. And so a lot of people will experience numbing or a sense of kind of unreality, like they're not really in their bodies, they're not really in the experience, they're kind of checking out. So self-harm is sometimes misunderstood. People will sometimes see it as the client being suicidal or the client trying to hurt themselves but oftentimes it's actually a client who is numbed out trying to feel something. They, the subconscious wants to protect, so if you're in a lot of pain because you have an abusive environment, your emotions and your feelings, your physical sensations will be shut down. So self-harm can be a way of trying to feel something. I need to hurt myself in order to feel. Another uh, coping skill or coping strategy is uh, weight gain. This is a way of dealing with unwanted sexual attention. It's common for me to discover when I'm working with weight loss clients that they've had some sexual trauma in their past. Again, the subconscious is trying to keep you safe. If I put on weight, maybe nobody will show an interest in me sexually, and then I'm, I'm safe, I'm good. But weight can also be a way to keep yourself buffered. It's almost like this you know, protective coating to protect you from any of the negativity in your environment. Of course, a common uh, coping skill or coping mechanism is hypervigilance. So there's actually three parts to this. We, a lot of us are familiar with fight or flight, but there's also freeze. There's a third F. So if we feel that we are in danger, we will resort to fight or flight, usually as our first choices. If we think that we can escape the situation, we will try to flee. If we think that we can fight back against our attacker, we will choose fight. So in a situation where we feel like we can't flee and we can't protect ourselves or defend ourselves, fight back against our attacker, the third choice that we will resort to is freeze. So this is if you've ever been driving on a highway at night, a forested area, and a rabbit or a deer jumps out on the road, and for a moment they're just like stark still. They're not moving at all. That's the freeze response. If we think we can't get away and we can't protect ourselves against an oncoming threat, we will just freeze in our tracks. So this happens, for example, with somebody having sexual trauma. They can't push off their attacker. They can't leave the situation, so they just kind of freeze. You hear of people who are in their heads, uh, you know, realizing what's going on, but just cannot move their bodies. And so it's an escape mechanism, <laughs> you know, or a way to cope with a situation, but it can be enduring. It can last long after the trauma or the threat has passed. 
And there's a lot of different ways that we see this hypervigilance in a client. We can see that they've got an overreactive startle response. Uh, People who are really empathetic, if you look into their history, often they've had some kind of trauma. So empathy often develops if you've got an unpredictable parent or somebody who poses a threat to you in your environment and you can't get away from them, you learn to to be hypervigilant, to be able to read the room, be able to sense energy, be able to be one step ahead of that person, you know, reading what they're doing all the time. And this is a way to be able to protect yourself. If you can sense when there's going to be danger five seconds before, you know, that hand comes at you or the person yells at you, then you can get yourself out of there. So hypervigilance is one of the common coping mechanisms that people will choose, not consciously but unconsciously. Another one is distraction. I talked earlier about addiction being a way to mask what it is we feel. Distraction can be a way to avoid what we feel. So again, this is the person who's spending hours video games or chilling out in front of Netflix, and they're really just trying to avoid feeling what they're feeling. And then there's people who splinter, who disassociate. It's not safe to be here, so I'm taking off. They leave their bodies. And again, the subconscious doesn't realize that where you are now is safe, so these coping mechanisms are just maintained even though the threat has passed, even though you're in a different situation. Now, I'm running out of time, so next week I am going to or I'm going to follow up with some more ways that uh, complex trauma affects your client. We're going to look at the limitations of uh, talk therapy and some of the current approaches that are being used and what you can do with a client in hypnosis to help resolve their complex trauma. I hope you're finding this interesting. I find this topic absolutely fascinating. And if you're interested in taking the course that I am designing, the prerequisite for it is that you already have hypnosis training because we're going to be looking at techniques for use in hypnosis to help people resolve complex trauma. So you need to know how to hypnotize somebody before you take the training. But if you're already a hypnotist or you're looking for hypnotherapy training, reach out and contact me, 250-382-2485 or info at Horizon Center Hypnotherapy. Thank you so much for checking in. Okay, take one. <laughs> with corrections with Campbell. Get your black belts in all things hypnotherapy and never blow. <laughs>